Um, if you do not grow in your faith this morning, it will not be because I failed to give a proper eschatological exegesis of the book of Revelation. It will be because you didn't ask God to speak to you. So, just by the assumption that maybe some of us didn't, let's take that time to spend a few seconds with you and the creator of the universe who loves you very much and ask him to speak to you and change your heart this morning. If, if you don't, if you want to sit there and be judgmental against me and critique my, my message, um, don't. Just, just, just take a moment and ask God to, to speak to you, and I'll, I'll be quiet for this time. Just, Lord, when you speak, things pop up into existence that didn't exist before, and things are radically changed, and people have the tendency to say, wow. He speaks with one who has authority. So do that this morning for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, like Will said, my name is Rod Tucker. I am one of the student pastors at the river, along with uh, the rest of the student pastors in our community who pour into students on a one-on-one mentoring level and a one-on-four mentoring level um, that we believe allows for discipleship to occur um, in a maximized fashion. But the story that I have for you this morning isn't um, so much about that. It's, it's more about me watching television a few months ago, um, actually more than a few months ago, and finding an infomercial about a clear plastic bag that if you shove as many clothes as you can possibly imagine into this bag, seal it, and then take your vacuum cleaner and stick it on the side of this bag and turn your vacuum cleaner on, it will shrink to one thousandth the size of what it used to be. And I watched the infomercial, I watched this happen again and again, and pretty soon people start calling in and you would hear great testimonies of eyewitness accounts that my life, was, my life was so disorganized and I couldn't get through my bedroom without stepping over pants and sweaters and it was the summertime and what do I need sweaters for in the summertime and I couldn't open my drawers and I couldn't fit new things in and my closet was just so full and then a, a revelation came to me when I saw this infomercial and it was that there was this, there's this problem with my life and this disorganization and this lack of simplicity and what I needed was to purchase for three easy payments of $19.99 these clear plastic bags that I could attach my vacuum cleaner to. And since I've used these plastic bags, Tiffany from Georgia, I have had a simplified life and I've been more organized and my kids aren't asking me where their clothes are because they all know they're in bags <laughs> in the closet and everything is better. This infomercial got me really wondering about every other commercial that I have ever seen in my life. 
they all say the same thing. And it's this. There's a problem with your life. You need this product. And if you purchase this product, your life will be more organized, simplified, better, whatever, more complete. I actually heard uh, the author of the book Blue Like Jazz, Searching for God Knows What, Through Painted Deserts, Father Fiction, and A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. His name is Donald Miller, and he, he shared about the advertising of shampoo. And he said that there's actually a shampoo out there that promises more physical intimacy with thousands of people if you purchase this shampoo. And so all the commercials say the same thing. There's a problem with your life. You need this product, and then you'll be more complete. A few months ago, Rob even had Bud Light up on stage. He had Axe Deodorant on stage, and he kind of went into that a little bit. I want to explore it a little further this morning. The only product that I have found that doesn't necessarily advertise that way because they advertise in the opposite way in a very mocking and joking fashion is Old Spice deodorant. Has anyone seen an Old Spice deodorant commercial as of recent? The one I'm thinking of is there's an arm here and an arm here and it says regular deodorant and they run it down and nothing happens and they say Old Spice deodorant and they run the stick down and then hair just immediately (laughs) pops out saying, you know, if you use this product, you'll just, you'll grow armpit hair. And I think they get it. I think they get the humor in it. But ultimately what, what has happened is that's how, in, in this culture anyways, that's how we buy and sell. And we, we convince people there's a problem with their life and that our product that we have to sell is the solution to that problem. Well, the, my issue with that was that I didn't have three easy payments of 1999 for these clear bags, and so I didn't buy them, and I didn't know what they did until a few months later when I found myself in South Dakota at my parents' house in the basement going through some of my old belongings and finding that my mother had put my clothes in these vacuum-sealed bags, and they were stored away. And I thought, someone does buy these things. (laughs) A little too close to my relations than I would want, but people do purchase these things. And so I took these bags home with me back to Kalamazoo, getting ready for the winter. And I had the greatest shock when I opened these bags. Yes, they stored my clothes well. But upon opening them and pulling the clothes out, what I found was the largest wrinkle mess that I've ever experienced in my life. And now I have to go buy an iron in order to even make them wearable. So the next commercial comes on. There's a problem with your life. Your clothes are wrinkled. You need downy wrinkle spray or an iron, and then your life will be better and you'll look nicer and more complete. And it's a never, ever, 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 ever ending cycle doesn't stop and that's how we sell things and buy things. Part of the problem with that is we walk around thinking there's a problem with our life all the time but the the I guess the good thing for the companies is we exchange money and they get rich. The scenario that I want to share with you this morning is 
somewhat fictional and I think somewhat uh, true. I would call it a truth story, not necessarily a true story, that took place many years ago with every church leader and pastor in the universe. And they all got together in a big group. And some of them were down and some of them were, were not so much, but the ones who were down were just kind of like, you know, church has been hard. People aren't, not as many people are coming anymore. Um, tithes are down. Uh, we, we're, not, we're not getting as much money. And there's just, there's kind of this, there's this lackadaisical attitude and people aren't excited when they come to church. And so I wish there was something we could do to get people to come to our congregation or our sanctuary and worship with us. And they just thought about it and no one could think of anything. And then finally one guy piped up, hey, I, I got an idea. I don't know if it'll work, but I got a crazy idea. The other day I was watching this infomercial about these plastic bags. And if you put all your clothes in them, they solve your life's problems of, of organization. And, and I actually bought these plastic bags and they don't actually do what they promise because they give me a wrinkled mess, but I bought them. Maybe we could try something like that. The guy goes, yeah, that's a great idea. So let's, let's take all the pews out of the church and let's put in um, chairs that latch together. They're a little more padded, a little more comfortable. Um, let's get brand new carpet and let's make it cool carpet. We want to try to avoid like the 16th century look. Um, we, we want to be a little more relevant. Um, let's get some, let's get the best rock band we can get. Let's put them up on stage and, and, and then we can tell people, you know, is your church experience lacking? Are you just not having as much fun at church? Are you just not experiencing God with all of your senses? Well, if you come to our church, we'll give you this great experience of worship and you'll get to know, know God more and everyone will be engaged. And then all of a sudden, that, that problem is solved and, and, everything will, and everything will be better and your family will want to come to church and so your relationships will be better and then you'll, you'll want to give to that church, and so it'll, it'll grow more, and more people will come. And so people started to kind of flock to these churches, and as, as they did, you know, we, we bought fog machines and laser light shows, and, and we did all of these different things to make church a better experience so that people could experience the living God in a better way. And then at, at, at some point, the pastor of each church stood up, and he said... I should probably do the same things with my teachings to get people to come back because we measure our church success by how many people attend. Ultimately, no matter what we do or who grows, it's how many people are there. And so I need to get something that's going to keep bringing people back. And so I'll start teaching the same thing. I'll say, there's a problem with your life. You're, just, you're not happy all the time. Sometimes you get discouraged um, your marriage is a little rocky. You just can't get her to love you the way that you want her to, or you just can't get him to love you the way that, that you need him to, or your finances, your finances just aren't in order. And if God, God wants to bless you, and, um, if you come to this place, 
and come forward during this altar call, then Jesus will um, mysteriously and magically fix all of your problems. And people came in droves by the thousands and millions to get their problems fixed and to meet the Jesus who, pr- who promises to fix problems. But after coming to service and, and doing all of the things that were said, they found out that that Jesus who was sold to them as in fixing their marriage, if they came here, didn't really do what He promised because their marriage was still kind of rocky and their finances weren't in order and I still felt sad every once in a while. And so this product Jesus failed me in the same way that the vacuum seal plastic bag failed me. It didn't really do what it promised. And now we're just discouraged. An example of this would be me being in the local Christian bookstore yesterday and looking through the books. As I looked through the books, I found one that caught my attention and made me laugh. Now, let me say this. I didn't read the book, and it might be really good. But from the title of the book, you know, maybe the guy's, maybe it's like a trick title, and he's trying to trick everybody into reading it or something. But from the title of the book, it made me laugh, and it, and it, it just made me wonder, and it's called Thou Shall Prosper, Ten Commandments for Making Money. Thou shalt prosper. Ten commandments for making money. I was with my friend Nate. And we're looking at these books and we kind of look at it and um, I laugh a little bit and I say, Nate, this book is awesome. I know exactly what we need to do with this book. And he says, what? And I say, we need to buy 10,000 copies of this book. We need to put them on crates. We need to haul them over to Somalia and Ethiopia where there's huge famine and children are dying and we need to pass out copies of this book to every child because if they read this book they shall prosper and it'll fix everything wow there is something drastically wrong and backwards and twisted about the way that church in this country happens and the way that ministry is defined by examples of what I just said to you. We can take the picture off now. Which brings me to Mark chapter 2. The beginning of Mark chapter 2. Let me say this about the book of Mark. Mark wrote it to the Romans who would just as soon kill you as look at you. The Romans were very powerful. They exercised force in order to control people. And Jesus even tells a story one time about the Romans that um, he he said something to the effect of two men will be working in a field and one will be taken and the other will be left. Or two women will be getting water from a well and one will be taken and the other will be left. Well, the Romans, because they were so powerful would literally ride by on their horses with their swords drawn and just kind of kill people at random. 
And so if you want to write a book to the Romans, make it quick, make it good, make it fast, and get your point. Because they're not going to want to sit and read all your fluffy little stories. And so if you look at Mark in chapter 1, he doesn't even talk about the birth of Jesus. He just, all of a sudden, Jesus is here, Jesus is baptized, Jesus is going, Jesus is calling disciples, and Jesus is healing people. Wowza! That's 30 years in one chapter. Then he just abruptly stops and tells a story. So if Mark, the guy who is like writing the gospel on the fast track so that the Romans can get the bullet points as they kind of glance at it and maybe get the gospel of Jesus, stops on a story, I think we need to pay attention to that story and see what he has to say. And so here's how the story goes. Chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Okay, there's so many people in this room that the fire marshal wouldn't allow it. And there are more, so many people outside of the house that the fire marshal probably wouldn't even allow that. But they're on to the fact that Jesus heals people and Jesus fixes problems. Jesus fixes problems. And so they try to bring their paralyzed friend through the crowd and they can't get him through. They can't even get close to the outside of the house because there's so many people there. So they somehow get away to get on the roof of the house dig a hole through the roof, and lower their paralyzed friend through the roof right before Jesus' feet. And Jesus looks at this paralyzed man and says in verse 7, here it is, when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. What? Jesus, I'm paralyzed. I haven't moved my legs in 30 years. And you're telling me my sins are forgiven. Fix my legs and let me go. I came to church so you would fix this problem. Fix my legs and let me go. So everyone freaks out. And so Jesus gets frustrated with them and says, fine, so you know that I have the power to forgive sins. Get up and walk. And the guy walks and then everybody freaks out again. There's an element that Mark wants us to grasp. And it is that a paralyzed man and his friends knew what was wrong with their life. And they came to Jesus to fix the problem that was wrong with their life. And when they came to Jesus honestly to fix that problem, he told them something completely different and backwards that they didn't want to hear. He didn't say, oh yeah, you're paralyzed. I get it. That's your problem. Why didn't I see that sooner? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes I feel like I'm in this big glass box, like I'm a mime, and I can't get out of it. And, and if there's something wrong with my marriage, I'm like, Jesus, fix my marriage. Pfft, doesn't happen. I'm like, Jesus, fix my finances. Pfft, doesn't happen. If God loved me, he would fix my finances, and I wouldn't have so many bills, and... 
I would manage money better or whatever. And it, there's something else wrong. I'm, I, I'm, I'm depressed. Jesus, make me undepressed. It doesn't happen. And I have learned through coming to church again and again and again and again for my entire life after this universal meeting with pastors and teachers of the world that somehow the product Jesus who fixes problems is going to meet me here and make everything fine. God wants to bless you and you will prosper and you will have favor if you come to this place and give us money. You will be blessed and you will do this. And it's this, this product Jesus that we're buying into isn't answering or fixing the problems we think need to be fixed. Why isn't my marriage 100% better? I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've, been, I've, I've even chose the church that promises that my marriage will be better if I go there. And why aren't, why aren't my children being discipled? This is, the, this, is, this is the most hilarious one to me. And I have the tendency to get cynical. So forgive me if I offend. But, somewhere along the line, student ministries, I'm a student pastor here. Somewhere along the line, student and youth ministries got this idea. I'm a, and I'm, I'm on rocky ground, I get it, okay? Let's buy 300 pool tables, five air hockey tables, four foosball tables, a giant room, and get a lot of kids to come to that room. And if they can all come in that room, it doesn't really matter what happens. Maybe someone will stand up and talk about Jesus. Um, maybe, we'll just, maybe we'll just play a game. But if we can get a lot of kids to come to this room, then maybe their parents will come to church. And then maybe we'll get a lot of kids... And since we measure church growth by attendance nowadays, and how many people are there, I'll be able to write a book about youth ministry. And that book will sell a billion copies because I have a rapport of getting tons of kids to come to youth group, and then I'll write that book, and then I'll sell that book, and then I'll get rich, and then I'll buy more pool tables and more, and we'll get, do bigger things and bigger things, and it'll grow and grow and grow, and we'll call it church growth. And totally miss Jesus. I can see Jesus now. Peter's probably 14, 16 years old. Fishing. He, di- he didn't get to be a rabbi. Or a disciple of a rabbi. So he had to go fish with his daddy. And so Jesus is recruiting for his youth group. Hey, Peter. Fishing, huh? It's pretty cool. I fished once. So uh, if you're not busy later, you know, once a week we, we meet at the church and uh, just kind of chill, just kind of hang out. It's fun. Um, no pressure. No pressure at all. Um, just, you can just be you, you know. It's great, you know, and everybody, there's a lot of kids coming and it's cool. Um, no. Jesus said, follow me. Peter, follow me. Be really confused but continue to pursue me with all of you. Then watch me die. Then receive my Holy Spirit and ultimately get crucified upside down on a cross because you love me so much. That's kind of Peter's story in a nutshell. What are we missing when a paralyzed man gets lowered to Jesus' feet And all Jesus says is your sins are forgiven. 
I think he was missing the same thing we're missing. And the thing that we are missing is that we think we know what Jesus needs to do in order to disciple us, make us grow in our faith, disciple our children, and have, a, have an awesome church experience. We think we know what needs to happen. And we operate out of those constraints. But Jesus wants to do something drastically different. And that drastically different thing that Jesus wants to do is come inside of you and take your mind and the way that you think about things. Now, if you have shut me off in your mind, if you've shut me off and said, this guy is bogus with what I'm saying right now, if you have shut me off, then this is the thing that I need you to turn back on and hear for one second, and then you can shut me off again. What Jesus wants to do is come into your mind and into your heart, and instead of solving all of your problems, he wants to flip your mind and your heart upside down so that you think about it differently. Jesus, fix my marriage, fix my marriage, fix my marriage. Think about your marriage differently. Feel about your marriage differently. Die in your marriage so that it can be resurrected. Jesus, fix my finances, fix my finances, fix my finances. I've been trying to save to get this cushion of money and I just can't. It's really hard. Lord, help me, bless me, fix my finances. Think about money differently. Think about it the way that God would have you think about it. Well, what is that? I don't know. I'm not going to claim to have the answer so that you all come back next week. I'm going to say, seek the risen Christ with all that you have and quit complaining about the fact that Jesus hasn't solved your problems yet, which just keeps us shopping for another answer. This one doesn't work. I'm going to try something else. This one doesn't work. I'm going to try something else. This church didn't work. I'm going to try something else. This relationship didn't work. I'm going to try something else. Maybe God would say something like, you know that $5,000 reserve you've got saved for in case of emergency? I've got someone who needs it. I don't know. Maybe a child who might die tomorrow. There's something that God is wanting to flip on its head. It's not the building, it's, it's not the music, and it's, it's not the carpet or the chairs. It's, it's, it's my heart. It's my mind. It's the way I think about it all. How do we think about these things? How do we think about our marriage? Only God, only God can renew it and change the way we think. And if we were to somehow need further evidence as to that's what God really wants to do in our lives, I might see what Paul wrote in Romans when he said, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but let God transform you by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what his will is for you. His good and pleasing, and perfect will. 
it's true that God has a perfect will for you. And it's true that it is good. And it's true that it is pleasing. But you could be standing in heaven, holding a mirror in front of your face and only able to see yourself. And it would be like hell. God wants to change the way we think. But that's a big risk. And that's a scary risk. And only people with courage who are ready to humble themselves and say, maybe I've been wrong. Maybe the way I thought church needs to be, maybe the way I thought discipleship needs to be, maybe the way I thought my relationship with God needs to be, maybe the way I thought my relationship with my husband needs to be, maybe the way I thought that my, the way in my relationship with finances needs to be, or my relationship with anything needs to be. Maybe I was, maybe I was drastically backwards and upside down with all of that. And maybe God wants to flip it. I would guess that we've all had inklings in the back of our mind that something about God is way different than the way we talk about him. Something about him is just way different than the way I think about him. The same God who when a man who is paralyzed and obviously not having an abundant life because he's paralyzed, comes before Jesus, fix me. And Jesus responds, son, your sins are forgiven? I don't think the issue is with Jesus. I think the issue is with me not thinking about that in the way that it needs to be thought about. The kingdom of heaven is backwards. It's very backwards. The children in Somalia don't need our books. The only reason we would need those books is to justify our thinking so that we don't have to engage in relationship with the children of Somalia. Students don't need entertainment. You don't need it. What you need is in the same way that Jesus said to Peter, follow me and let me flip your life upside down drastically is true. And that's what I need. So, the sermon has like a dot, 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 you know. It just, I don't, I don't get to give you the answer now. But if you're willing, and if you have the courage to seek God and ask Him to actually change the way you think for clarity. Clarity in my marriage, God. Not I'm, I'm going to quit praying that you change this person. I'm going to start praying that you change me in the way I think in my heart. Clarity in my finances. Clarity in my life and in relationship. And all of a sudden, things begin to change, and I think relationships will occur. And we've seen it happen in our student ministries here. You know, not without, like, resistance, but... Jesus faced resistance too. Um, so that's where the sermon ends. And I want to try something. I didn't feel like I transitioned well in the first service to this. Um, with that said, 
we, the river doesn't have a big college service. We could. We got sweet musicians. Just awesome. And there are a lot of college musicians, man, that are phenomenal. And I think that um, there are some giant churches who even do this relationship thing successfully. I'm not condemning all of that. But we don't have that. And I don't get up every Saturday night and preach a sweet sermon. Um, and then everyone, you know, the River College group so cool. We don't have that. What we have is the opportunity continually presenting itself for people in our church community to love our students. And as the book of Titus teaches us, to allow the older people in the church to teach the younger people how to live. And as that happens, discipleship happens. Given the younger people have to be honest and not defensive, and the older people have to learn to listen and not talk all the time. Sure. But it can happen. So, if by chance you are a college student, and you would like to go to lunch with someone in our community, I'm just going to ask you to take a risk and come up front and stand here. You can come up now. And I get it if, if everyone's too nervous and no one wants to. That's fine. The first service, a bunch of kids came up and stood here and people took them. But if you're a college student and you want someone to take you to lunch, I want you to come stand up here and then don't leave these people embarrassed, but come up and grab them and say, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. I see some people talking about it. You know, let's just do it. Let's just like go for it. Just stand up, come down. And if no one does, it's fine. And so even after the service right here. But I just want to pray for you. And I want to ask that God can transform our minds. Got it? College students, you have a role. Everyone else, you have a role. We'll see what happens. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for speaking with authority and doing things differently than the way that we think they need to be done. Um, And we ask that you change the way that we think in Jesus' name. Amen. The prayer team will be up here, and don't forget your joy boxes on your way out. Thanks.